lists all the different ministries of our church and all of the different sub-ministries that are taking place within those ministry teams, this would be a great start. That said, I would love to spend time, Ernie would love to spend time, Jim, Adam, Kent, spend time with you helping you find a ministry where you can serve. Here's the big idea. If you are a Christian, you are called to be involved in ministry in some way, shape, or form. And ministry doesn't necessarily mean preaching, teaching, singing. Ministry is a broad brush in many ways. But I would say about 50% of our church probably is not involved in ministry one way or another. And we would love to do something about that. This will kind of whet your appetite. You'll be able to see all the different ministry opportunities that are out there. In terms of the small group, what one of the dilemmas I think that we have with our small groups is that groups really function well up to a certain size. And when they grow larger than that certain size, they cease to be a small group. They're now a medium group or a large group in many ways. I also think that just personalities, some personalities don't always jive with other personalities. So it's important to find a team that really flows well, connects well with one another. Um, we're, we're doing our best to try to continue to add small groups. Adam Brooker has added a couple small groups in the last couple years. We're talking about adding more moving forward. That said, let me just plant this seed with you. I don't know who submitted that question, by the way. But um, one of the things you might consider is joining a Sunday school class. Mm. We have some incredible Bible school options at 9.30 most Sunday mornings at FCC. And many of our Bible school classes are more than just study the Bible. There's a fellowship dynamic. There's a relationship dynamic. And that might be a great place to start. You can go to the Welcome Center and find a list of our Bible school classes. Good. Good. All right. Um, this is a question again came in. Thought the service was great when the elders laid hands on Carson Cheatham. How many of you were here for that service? Raise your hand high. Okay. Uh, Carson was one of our Timothys that was ordained, and we sent him off in the ministry. And, um, so anyhow, thought that service was great when the elders laid hands on Carson Cheatham. Why don't we follow that practice of laying hands and using anointing oil as referred to in James chapter 5? I know the elders went out to minister to Sue Turney at one time as she testified at an AM service. Yeah, I, I would say w the laying on of hands that you saw took place when Carson was ordained, that's a principle that we find in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, as they were getting ready to go out on their missionary journey, they, they had prayers being offered on them. Um, godly men laid hands on them as they went off on their journey. And, and, and that is something that we do every time we ordain someone into Christian ministry. Johnson Flanagan was ordained a couple years ago. Adam Brooker was ordained my first year here. And that's a, obviously a very biblical principle. The second part of the laying on of hands is from James 5. And I want to just read James 5, 13 to 16. Here's what it says. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Um, I believe very much in James 5. I believe very much that healing takes place today. I could give you testimonies of people that have been physically healed from an ailment or a disease. What I'm going to say next will be a shock to some of your systems. Healing's really no big deal if you look at it from a kingdom perspective. There are some ministries that exist solely for physical healing on the face of this earth. And 
I'm not sure that's a kingdom vision of what we're called to be as Christ followers. I would say to you, if you have an illness, you have a sickness, and you want the elders of the church to, to do a James 5 prayer time and laying on of hands, I guarantee you they will. It's been more than Sue Turney that that's mm -hmm. taken place since I've been here. Um, that's absolutely your, uh, your request, your right as a member of First Christian Church. That said, I hope we all look at life on this earth not as the ultimate, but maybe as the appetizer and, and have a kingdom perspective of what life and eternal life is really all about. Sure. What does our, teach, what does our church teach about divorce and especially about remarriage? Okay. Um, well, I don't know that you would find an official position by First Christian Church on, on many issues per se. I'll tell you what God's Word has to say about divorce. God doesn't like divorce. That's pretty clear. The Bible is crystal clear that the concept of marriage is designed to be one man, one woman forever. Now, reality is that divorce takes place. Mm -hmm. And in America in 2012, divorce takes place a whole bunch. If you are divorced, God loves you. God loves you unconditionally. Do not ever doubt that whatsoever. Um, to the married people that we did this four-week series on sex a, a month ago, and the last week was on marriage, and, and the big idea was that make your marriage last. Be proactive to try to make your marriage last. But um, God's Word is really clear that marriage is designed to be permanent in many ways. In every way. What am I saying? Not in many ways. In every way. Why are there less weddings at FCC than previously, than previous, and are there requirements to get married here at First Christian Church? Yeah, that's a question that was asked to me personally. Um, I think there probably are less weddings. Our wedding coordinators, Candy Heap and Anne-Marie Hubble and Kelly Pine and Joyce Mathias could probably chart that better. But we have, uh, for the last couple of years, probably the last six years, really mandated that if you're going to be get married at First Christian Church, there are several things that you have to commit to, not the least of which is premarital counseling. And one of the ways that we satisfy that requirement is we have an all-day marriage workshop takes place in the springtime, February, March. Uh, you're a part of that. I'm a part of that. We have several couples that come in and teach as well. It's really a wonderful time. But just to be honest with you, I've had probably a dozen individuals call and inquire about getting married here. And when they found out that there was a requirement for premarital counseling or for the marriage workshop, they just said, we're not interested in that. We want no part of that. Um, and that's fine. They have that right in many ways. That is something that we are requiring. We want marriages to last. We mm. want marriages to be built to last. This is not perfect at all, but I have this workbook in front of me that every couple that goes through the workshop gets, and there's just some excellent, excellent tips in here. Obviously, a Christian perspective of marriage, but also budgeting, personality types, um, his, his, love, his needs, her needs. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I think that may be a reason that there's less weddings mm -hmm. taking place here, but I don't apologize for that at all. Sure, sure. Why is tradition so bad? Well, I, I don't know who wrote that question. I don't think tradition is bad. I, I think that there are some traditions that are awesome, but the reality is tradition is tradition. And one of the staples of First Christian Church is that our authority does not come from tradition. Our authority comes from God's Word. 
we speak where the Bible speaks, we're silent where the Bible is silent. For instance, 50 years ago, if you would have come to church here, now we weren't alive 50 years ago, but if we were alive <laughs> 50 years ago and, and went to First Christian Church on a Sunday morning, my guess is we might have heard the Lord's Prayer recited. My guess is we might have sung the doxology. My guess is we might have um, done the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag and the Christian flag and the Bible. Are those bad things? Not at all. Are they mandated in Scripture that when you gather on Sunday morning, you have to sing the doxology? Not at all. One thing that's different today from 50 years ago is I'm wearing jeans and an ugly Christmas sweater. Um, 50 years ago, that wouldn't have happened. You know, 50 years ago, we're suit and tie all the way. Um, what's right? I, I don't know. But, but I think that that's a tradition. I think dress is much more relaxed in 2012 than it probably was 50, 60, 70 years ago. That's a tradition in many ways. Now, there's some new traditions that we're developing at First Christian Church that I love. We have a Thanksgiving Eve service. We've done three now. That's mm. a new tradition that I love. Um, we've started doing more services on Holy Week, Monday, Thursday. We had a Good Friday prayer service at noon. That's a new tradition that's being started. We might not do that forever and ever. You don't see mandated in Scripture. You have to have Monday, Thursday services during Holy Week, but that's a new tradition beginning. And by the way, I'd love to see more of you plug in this year or next year on Holy Week because there are really some, uh, some well put together services. My favorite tradition growing up was when the ushers used to bring the money up and lay it on the yeah. communion tray. Yeah. How many of you remember that? When the ushers yeah. would collect the offering and then they bring it up on the tray. Could you imagine our financial team now taking yeah. that? But anyhow, okay. Yeah. Um, that was not a shot. That Never mind. Okay, I'll just move just on. Just move on. Yeah, I'll yeah. stop talking. Digging it deeper. All right, I am digging it deeper. All right, what do you do when your spouse does not share your faith? Mm. Has the church ever considered... Oh, that's, let, let's do the first yeah. one first. What do you do when your spouse does not consider your faith? You know, there are people here today that your wife or your husband, for whatever reason, they're, they're not into faith like you are. And, and that's difficult. There's no easy way to, uh, to soft sell the struggle that that is. And I would just say I am in awe of those of you who are in marriage relationships and, and you are a person of faith and your spouse is not. Um, I know that's difficult. I know that's a challenge. And I would encourage you to do three things. Number one, I would encourage you every single day to pray for your spouse. Pray mm. that your husband or your wife will fall in love with Jesus Christ that there would be opportunities that would unfold that would make them really consider living for Jesus Christ. The second thing that I would encourage you to do is to realize that because your spouse is not a believer, they're not a person of faith, they're probably judging you all the time. So do your very best to live as a Christ follower um, passionately all the time. We all put on our happy faces for our marriages on Sunday morning, and you know you never really see a spouse screaming at a spouse at 11 o'clock during church <laughs> on Sunday morning. But we all have moments. We all have times where we struggle in many ways. And I would just say to the believer, um, just do your very, very best to be salt, to be light, to model effectively what it means to be a Christ follower. The third thing that I would challenge you to do is don't be afraid to seek intervention from others. Sometimes um, we can't connect with our spouse in a way that maybe a best friend can or, or, or a close confidant can in many ways. And if there are people of faith in their life, don't be afraid to encourage them to speak out about the power of being a follower of Jesus Christ. 
second part on this paper here. Yeah. Has the church ever considered doing a Dave Ramsey program? Yeah, that, that's a great question, by the way. And actually, at 1030 today, I met with Brett and Allison Hitchings and with Andrew and Lindsay Haynes, and we are excited to announce that starting January 30, we are going to have a Financial Peace University class take place on Wednesday nights here at First Christian Church from 6 to 730. And I'll just throw this out. We need to find out right now, within the next couple of weeks, not right now, but in the next couple of weeks, <laughs> Who is interested in going through a study? There is a commitment and investment that you would make. Obviously, there's, I think, a nine-week commitment in terms of being here on Wednesday evenings, but we're really excited. I, I don't know who wrote that, but I am excited that that is coming to First Christian Church. And again, the, the first meeting will be January 30. I think we're doing a preview night on January 9, and then the class will actually begin on January 30 from 6 to 7.30 during the Families at First programming time. Many area churches have done this program. Absolutely. I, I know we have couples here that have went to some it. of the Lincoln churches or First Christian Decatur and right. have really had good things to say about the curriculum. And did you know November is National Adoption Month? I didn't know that until 8.15 this morning. <laughs> I did know that November 4 was Orphan Sunday and we had originally planned to do some special things that day and then... I, I couldn't speak on October 21, and it kind of messed up our schedule. But look in the months ahead for a very special Sunday, one Sunday emphasis on adoption and orphans. Okay. Several weeks ago, you mentioned not being a program-driven church, but we have lots of programs. What in the world are you talking about? Okay, and that's actually a question that was given to me directly after a Wednesday night class. We had talked that night about every member ministry, the idea that if you're a Christian, you're called to be involved in service and ministry, and, and that we need to get going. We have a lot of ministries, and one of the things that I said is that churches really find themselves struggling when they are program-driven, and what I mean is the programs become the most important thing. We are called to be a purpose-driven church. I believe all churches are called to be purpose-driven churches. In the purpose statement of First Christian Church, many of you will know this, is we exist to glorify God, to win the lost, to teach the saved. Worship, evangelism, nurture, edification, growth. If we are doing something in the way of a program that has nothing to do with worshiping God or winning the lost or teaching the saved, I believe we're spinning our wheels. Mm. I believe that the program has taken priority over our purpose. So I'll, I'll use this example in many ways. Sunday school is a great program. We have 300 people that come out for, for Bible school classes every Sunday morning. I wish it was more, to be honest with you. I wish more of you were plugged in at 930. We're not going to throw it out because it is a program, but we're going to make sure that it fulfills our purpose as a church. And if there ever is a program that has started that we look at and we say, you you know, it doesn't really fulfill our purpose, it, it could go. Okay. When I like this question. When will we be able to make our tithe online? Boy, I'm ready. Wouldn't that be nice? A lot of us pay our <laughs> bills online, and I, I don't have an answer for that. I know it's been investigated. I know we, we, we've looked into that. Some churches, I will tell you, have giving kiosks in their foyer. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but um, I look forward with you to the day that we're able to do our giving online. Great. All right, next question. Why with a church this large are there not more volunteers for the children's ministry? Does our church really not care that much about the kids? It's the same people all the time. We're going to burn out the wonderful volunteers. That sounds like a frustrated volunteer. I, I would say ministry. that. What I do would you say think? that just a little bit. 
Take um, it any pain past you. Okay, go ahead. You know, I think a lot of churches operate under the 80-20 principle. Unfortunately, and you've probably heard it before, 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry. I don't think it's that extreme at FCC, but honestly, a lot of people are just very content for whatever reason to let someone else serve. Mm. And I think we probably need to do a better job about recruiting and rolling our sleeves up and going after people. But at the same time, you're going to hear this a lot this morning. If you're not involved in ministry, get involved. Get involved because the Lord wants you to serve. Get involved because you will be blessed. And I will just say our children's ministry has some incredible opportunities. I love Vacation Bible School every yes. summer. We have a lot of fun. You drink that little, uh, you know, we, we pour all kinds of stuff in a Gatorade yes, and shake it up. And you, I still have kids bringing that up because yes. uh, it's just a lot of fun to be able to tell young people about Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to answer that because you are the children's minister here. Okay. Why do you think it's such a struggle? I, I think we have so many people that have done it for so long mm -hmm. that we just allow them to continue to serve. Mm -hmm. and, and that's hard because we do have people that have done it for so long that yes. we're just like, well, they'll do it or they'll do it. Yes. I think the other thing is many people, because we're busy or yeah. because they feel like they're busy, are, it's hard to commit. You know, right. I think a lot of people, I talked to one person that said, well, I can't commit to 57 years like Genevieve Farnsworth. I said, right. I don't want you to commit for 57 right. years. I want right. you to commit to right. two weeks, you know, right. that type of stuff. And so right. I, I would challenge you and say, if you're interested in children's ministry or youth ministry or just get involved in, in something, say, you know what, I can commit to a four-week I can commit to two weeks. I can commit to that. And I want to follow up on that. We're talking here about children's ministry, but I was thinking the other day about our hospitality ministries, our funeral dinner ministries. We are blessed by people like Louise Moore and Audrey Sessions and Goldie Hedrick and Jane Ann Thomas and Clarine Arnold. I mean, these are women that have the incredible gift of hospitality and they use it to God's glory and we've all been blessed by it. Um, two decades from now, they probably won't be able to continue on. So we need not just our children's ministry, but all of our ministries to have the next generation of people stepping up and saying, here I am, Lord, use me. Mm, yeah, so important, so important. With all the talk about how do you keep your faith when people beat you down because of your views, don't you ever get down because it doesn't show? I pray, that, I pray but sometimes I'm still down there. It's, it's so very hard to ask people to pray for me. You know, and that's been a theme, I think, um, that, that I've been asked privately lately, and I'm not really sure why. Um, are you discouraged? Uh, do, do you feel beaten down at times? And, and I really do not, quite honestly. This is a wonderful church to serve. This is a church chalked full of very encouraging people in many ways. That said, and, and you can testify to this, there's times I'm down. There's times you're down. There's times we struggle in many ways. I think for me, when I feel like we are doing what God has called us to do, and I am preaching or teaching a message that I really believe articulates the truth of God's Word, even when people disagree, I guess maybe I look at it sometimes like they're not so much disagreeing with me as they're disagreeing with God's Word. And I'll use this example. I preached a sermon this fall about uh, we're saved only by the grace of God. I believe that's one of our staples. I don't think you can earn your salvation. I had a very animated uh, individual kind of in my grill afterwards just really disputing the teaching of the morning. 
um, and, and two people came up to me afterwards, are you okay? Is everything all right? And, and I really was because I felt like I had articulated Ephesians 2, the truth of Ephesians 2, we're saved only by the grace of God, and he just disagrees with that in many ways. Mm. Where I get discouraged at times is when we dream and we have plans and we think that maybe this event is going to really make a difference in the lives of people and it doesn't materialize. I'll get discouraged if I think, you know, I should have made a couple more phone calls. Mm. I should have practiced a little more. I should have recruited a little more. That, that, and that's more of a personal discouragement at myself than at other people. There's always going to be negative people. I mean, we know that. Um, I had someone come up to me after first service today and said they hate question and answer Sunday. Let's just have a sermon. You know, God bless her. Send her on her way. That's okay. You're going to have that in many ways. Um, do your best. Love the Lord, and you know, let God take care of everything else. This leads right into that, Greg. Are you satisfied with the attendance and size of the congregation? If not, what is your goal? And how do you do that in a small town? Absolutely not. I'm never satisfied with the attendance. Um, and, and the reason is because if we had, last week I think we had just shy of 700 people that came to services. I'm thinking to myself, if we'd have had 100 more people, that's 100 more people that get to experience the Thanksgiving tree. Mm. That's 100 more people that get to stop worrying about their lives at that moment and focus on the blessings that God has poured down upon him. That said, I've really tried to strategically Think less about numerical statistics and more about spiritual growth and, and spiritual development in many ways. There's a trend going on with many churches in central Illinois. Numbers are down. Mm -hmm. I, I have friends that are they're pulling their hair out, quite honestly, because they can't figure out why they're running 100 less or 150 less than they were three, four, five years ago in many ways. We don't want to make it about the numbers, but I want as many people as possible to be here to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And let me throw this out here. We will never have crazy growth. We will never have radical growth until the congregation as a whole embraces the idea. I have to invite mm. my friend, my coworker, my neighbor, my, my partner, whatever it may be. I have to be the one to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them and say, come sit with me at 11 o'clock. Come to the Bible study with me. I'll be there for you in many ways. When the preacher calls, most people are nice. But they're really not looking for a spiritual spanking from the preacher. But when a neighbor mm. or a best friend or a coworker or a classmate says, hey, I want you to come to church with me, I can't tell you how much that communicates. Sure. Does it go against God's word to be cremated, body turned to ashes at death? My answer to that would be no. I don't think it does go against God's word. There's an incident in the Old Testament where a, a grievous sin took place, and the punishment for that sin was that individual in the family his family was to be burned. And some people have taken that to say, well, because there was this sin that needed to be purged and there was a burning, anytime there's a cremation, that's in essence what's playing out. That's really stretching Scripture in a way that I don't think Scripture should be stretched. That said, I, I want to use that question to say I appreciate so much the funeral process itself. And one trend that I'm struggling with, quite honestly, Ernie, is the fact that more and more people, when a death takes place, are doing nothing. Mm. They're doing nothing at all. I had an aunt that died in 1997, probably my favorite aunt from California, my Aunt Betty. And her kids decided, for whatever reason, we're not doing anything. And, and nothing happened. There was no service. There was no celebration. And I'll wake up and forget that my Aunt Betty is gone in many ways. And I would just say to those of you that are kind of on record saying, I don't want anything to happen when I die. I want to <laughs> remind you, the funeral's not for you. The visitation's not for you. 
Because when you die, someone, probably lots of people, are going to be very sad. And they're going to need to do something with that sadness in many ways. And are visitations fun? No. Are funerals difficult? Absolutely. But I think they're part of the grieving process, and I think they help with the healing process in many ways. Mm. What is the church's teach? What is the church teaching about the Sabbath, especially since it is one of the Ten Commandments? Well, it is one of the Ten Commandments. Let me read for you real quickly. Exodus twenty. It says, "Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God." On it you shall never do any work, neither you nor your son, daughter, manservant, maidservant, animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that was in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, you weren't doing anything. No work, no recreation, no Cubs games. I mean, it was not happening. It was a complete shutdown. And we are no longer bound um, by that old covenant. That said, most 2012 Christ followers are really failing miserably when it comes to the principle Mm. of the Sabbath. I don't think we need to take a day necessarily just to absolutely do nothing and lay on the couch and watch Matlock reruns. I don't think that's the principle, but but I some people don't even know what Matlock is. It's a TV show from about 20 years ago. Andy Griffith, he died this year. Anyway, um, the principle behind it is to stop doing what I normally do, and whether it's an hour or a half a day or an entire day, renew spiritually with the Lord. Some of you are really good about taking a couple hours and going someplace like, say, Little Galilee and going on a prayer walk, maybe by yourself, solitude, maybe with a couple friends, spending time in prayer, spending time in encouragement. That's practicing the Sabbath. For me, many times, I'm on my bike and I'm listening uh, with just one ear in because I want to be legal with the law. I'm listening to sermons or I'm, I'm being encouraged by, by Christian music as I exercise in many ways. Um, do we have to legalistically honor the Sabbath? Not at all. If you want to mow your grass this afternoon, knock yourself out. Do we need to practice the principle of the Sabbath? Absolutely. I'm going to use the Sabbath today until April. I can't put up Christmas lights. Good plan. Good plan. That's a great idea. But tomorrow's coming. <laughs> all right, tomorrow's last question. Why do you never preach on the rapture? The Bible tells us we, are, we, are, are, we will receive our rewards in heaven when we reach there. Why do we never preach on Bible prophecy? We are living in the last days, the Bible tells us, to warn my people. What I think, and I don't know who wrote this, but I think what this person is referring to is the theology behind the Left Behind movie. Has anybody seen Left Behind the movie? Uh, the theology is premillennial dispensational. And the idea basically being that there's going to be a rapture and Christians are going to go to heaven and then everyone else is going to be left to be on the earth for a time, maybe a thousand years. And during that time, those people are going to have a second chance, but they're going to go through this incredible, terrible tribulation and the Antichrist is going to rise up and then Jesus is going to come again. For the first 1800 years after Jesus died and rose again, that concept was not out there whatsoever. It was in the 1830s that a teenage girl by the name of Margaret MacDonald, 15 years old, had this vision and this theology really began to take off in many ways. And it's very, very popular today. Here's my theology of the last times. Jesus is coming back Hmm. and you better be ready and I better be ready. You're going to have the sheep and the goats. You're going to have judgment day. And when Jesus comes back, there's no more second chances in many ways. So if you come to church here, 
ever and you walk away not hearing that Jesus is the only way, we have failed. That's why every Sunday morning we do a song at the end of the service. It's not just a nice transition out of what we've done for the last hour. It's because every Sunday morning we want to offer the invitation to anyone that's Mm. here that's not a Christ follower to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. Let me read for you. I had several scriptures I was going to read, but for time's sake, I want to just read for you the words of Peter, probably the last words that he wrote before he was crucified upside down for his faith. Here's what he says in regards to this. He says in 2 Peter 3, do not forget this one thing, friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And when I read that, I'm reminded we are living in the last days. And my prayer and your prayer should always be the same. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. And thank you for this time to answer questions that we have about our church, about our faith. But the best news of all this morning is that uh, the ultimate answer to the struggles that we face is Jesus Christ. If we know Jesus, K-N-O-W, we're going to know hope. We're going to know peace. But if there's no Jesus, N-O, there's no hope. There's no peace. So thank you most of all today for Jesus, your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. As we come to this time, that's our prayer for you. Our prayer is that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Media will try to tell you it's about tolerance. And, and people will try to tell you it's, it's okay. You don't, have to, you don't have to be all in. You can just be part of the way in. That's not how it is with Jesus. Either you love him or you don't. Either you've committed your life to him or you haven't. And that's really what it boils down to. And so that's our prayer for you this morning is that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. And if he's not or you have more questions about that, this time is for you as we stand together and sing. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I
you about the angel tree if you're interested in adopting a child please do that um, we did this first service and it really is a neat picture especially if you're standing up here i want us all just to gather in here in the middle and just hold hands together so if we can just take the two sides and just squeeze in for me please a little bit it's really not that hard we can do it this morning Oh, let's pray together. Father, it's all about Jesus. It's nothing that we can do or say. It's just all about Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for all that Jesus has done for us and all that that will be done this week because of Jesus. Father, help us that we will go out. Help us that we will serve Jesus, that we will worship Jesus, that we will love Jesus. That one day, Father, we will see you face to face and you will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.